When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is proud to present the Boots on the Boulevard concert series during Rodeo Week with Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. Rodeo Week never sounded so good. With the best live country music at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas this December. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. featuring Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. More acts announced soon, but don't wait. Go to Cosmopolitan Las Vegas.com to book your experience. Boots on the Boulevard at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Danny Lure, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Royce Young of ESPN, who is focused on covering the Oklahoma City Thunder, and they are an absolutely fascinating team to talk about for so many reasons. And we talk mostly about their present and future, so talking about Russell Westbrook's situation, the aftermath of trading Serge Ibaka for the package they got, including Victor Oladipo, how they're going to resolve their rotations, and all of that sort of thing. And then we do talk a little bit towards the end about Durant and the, the Westbrook-Durant legacy and all that towards the end, but I did want to focus on their present and focus on their future because I think that's more interesting and there's a lot there's a lot going on there that might be underappreciated because of all the drama surrounding Kevin Durant. This podcast is brought to you by Blue Apron. You can go to blueapron.com slash realgm, and you can get three meals for free with free shipping. And the conversation runs about an hour and 15 minutes. I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. You bet. So I think part of what makes this Thunder team so fascinating is where they stand right now. And so there are a lot of different places to go with that. But for me, I think the the key point is Russell Westbrook. And, and there are a couple different ways to go with that even. Is it your instinct that if the Thunder offered him a renegotiation and extension right now, so to elevate his contract but add years, that he would be willing to accept it right now? I think that that is certainly something that is on the table. And I, I think that Russell Westbrook, when the Thunder do present that officially to him, I mean, he, he understands the stakes right now, Danny. I mean, he is uh, fully aware of what's coming uh, his way. The Thunder are going to make this extension offer to him. They have, they, as far as I know, they haven't officially done it yet. But when that comes, you know, Westbrook's obviously been weighing his options and been thinking about things already. But when that time comes, he's going to consider this. And I know in the days right after Durant's departure, it was reported that um, there's no chance that he would. But that was also kind of very early when things were just happening and there was kind of a misunderstanding that uh, about what the renegotiating up was going to present Westbrook, which essentially is going to present him the opportunity to make more money um, because he's going to put $8.5 million in his pocket 
this year that he otherwise wouldn't have. And with the lowering projections on the salary cap, that's going to counterbalance it. And in the long run, he's, he's going to end up making more. So um, I think that, you know, whether or not Westbrook takes it, I don't know. I can't say, I can't say that for sure. And, and, you know, obviously the fallout that's going to happen, whether or not he rejects that and what happens next for the Thunder then, do they trade him? Do they play out the season? Do they wait for the trade deadline? All those questions are going to be fascinating to follow. But I, I can say pretty confidently that Russell Westbrook's going to consider an extension. He's, he's just, as it was put to me by, by someone, just added up one plus one. They rescinded Deion Waiter's qualifying offer and they let him walk away uh, for nothing. That's something the Thunder never do with a young player, and they did that because they wanted to make sure that they had this option available to now present to Russell Westbrook, and they wouldn't be doing that unless they had at least a, a strong idea that it was a consideration by him. Yeah, and I agree with that also for the reason that considering where we are in the offseason, that it's not like they were clearing that space to because there was somebody obvious otherwise to use it on. You know, like that would be the other way. Right. It would be, you know, because teams have done that throughout July is, you know, you clear space, and then, you know, like for Washington, let's say, they, you know, they rescinded Nene's hold and then he signed somewhere else. And then mm-hmm. they used that space to sign Nicholson and everybody else. And at this point, there are a few guys left. I'm not going to discount the people who are still on the board, but that is the most likely thing with it. And so, yeah, for Westbrook, what it does is it's fascinating in his case is that it could push him up this year and so that that is a, a really a raise and then depending on how they do it they could model it off of off of Harden who had two years left but the idea basically being you give a raise in exchange for more security for the team right and there's clearly a rationale for Oklahoma City not only in terms of the overall arc of their franchise but just in terms of keeping a clear-cut all-star all-NBA player you know keeping one of the best guys in the league that if you can do that just like for I, I felt for the Rockets that you know if you could keep Harden that's a good thing to do so from their perspective, it makes sense. And for Russell's perspective, it depends on what he wants. You know, like if he if he wants to stay, then that is a, a great way to do it, to get more security. And th- there is a, definitely an appeal. And part of the reason why the renegotiation extension I'm writing on it right now is so interesting is that it gives players money right now. And, and that's a really rare thing in the NBA because you normally when you hear of a player on a value contract, you go, oh, they're going to be on that contract until they hit free agency. Right. But he theoretically, because they have this cap space at the right time, he could do that. And so that is a different sales pitch than most teams can make. Right. And, and the other the aspect of it is, yeah, that this is a unique situation that you know, I think a lot of people might be saying, well, why don't you do this with your players all the time? And that way you can keep them. Because normally you, you're not going to have this type of cap space, especially when you're in a position like the Thunder are, which you know, typically is a contending level team that's well over the salary cap. And so they've kind of been cast into this situation unexpectedly. Um, to now have this this chance to do this with Westbrook. Their priority is Westbrook because they, they literally can't do anything. They're paralyzed until they know what he's doing because, you know, they can't – I really don't have a good player to use in these, as an example anymore because I had been using Mo Harkless, but now he's signed with the Blazers, but I'll use him anyway. They couldn't go out and they couldn't just sign Mo Harkless to a big deal without knowing – What's going to happen with Russell Westbrook? Because if Russell Westbrook's going to leave him, then they're going to want to dump a lot more cap space. They're going to want to restructure and they're going to want to rebuild from that path. So they don't they don't know what course to plot here because they don't know what Russell Westbrook's going to do. And so that's why they're trying to get that firm kind of commitment from him to stabilize him. Now, 
know, this is something Kevin Pelton brought up yesterday. We can't really know or have a really good idea. Is he necessarily going to do a four-year extension? He could do, you know, basically a one-plus-one extension, add on another year uh, with a player option. That way that gets him to that 10-year vet max threshold, and he could become a free agent in 2018. So there's a lot of options here Russell Westbrook could do. I'm pretty sure the Thunder are going to take any extension that he's willing to sign because that stabilizes them in the short term and gives them at least an opportunity to now build around him. Because, you know, there's been a lot of conversation, Danny, that people are like, you know, you got to prove to Russell Westbrook, you got to convince him to stay, you got to go get. They can't do that until he decides to stay, right? I mean, they, they can't go out there and, and make a statement the free agent market's completely picked over. You think if they go and trade for Rudy Gay, that's going to convince Russell Westbrook to stay? That's probably just going to make him think, man, we used to have Kevin Durant, and it kind of looked like that, but this is not the same thing with Rudy Gay. So that's kind of where they're at right now. And also, as much as this team is different now than they were before that, Westbrook knows what they are. You know, they can do that. Right. And and I think he can understand that, I'm sure he does, that any deals they make and that, that it is contingent on him. And that's one of the important things to understand with the renegotiation and extension is that it requires that cap space. And right. it's not like their margins are are so wide open that they can do all this and, and easily and easily do it. That they have a lot of players that they have under contract that they are going to have under contract, and so you can't just like oh just pop off three million or something in case you make another move. And I think that part, the other aspect of this that is so fascinating, and I haven't ever talked to a player who's have has to consider it at the time about this, is that. There is a lot of uncertainty in terms of the labor future, and that affects Russell Westbrook maybe more than almost anybody because he is making he can make a calibration in terms of you know what he's what he's selling his free agency at right now, and you know like so okay he's getting raised to his maximum now and then he's getting paid X amount of money for one year two years whatever whatever it is up to up to three new new seasons you can think about that in terms of like oh okay under the current rules that's what it's going to be but. A year from now, we could be dealing with completely different rules in terms of everything. And that could be, you know, maybe the salary cap functions differently. And of course, that affects max contracts. Or one of my pet theories is that one of the reactions to what has happened this summer... There is is no max contract. Is that what you're going to say? No, not that there is no max contract, but that they will raise the tiers. So right now it's 25, 30, and 35% of the cap. My guess, and I have no inside knowledge of this, is that they're going to scale those up at least 5%, maybe 10%. Because what that does, the no-max contract thing, I think, is something that is interesting, but I think it would generally be accompanied by a hard cap, which the players will never accept. So I think the the kind of the compromise, and I like to think in that way, like when I'm thinking about these negotiations, it's like, okay, where will both sides start and then where could they finish? Is maybe they jump to 30, 35, 40, or even 35, 40, 45. And at yeah. that point, then players are starting to make real sacrifices. You know, like if, if you want to do it that way. And that was actually what I thought was the most logical reaction to Miami if they had done that. But instead, they did a whole bunch of other stuff, which wasn't a good idea. But so right. if, you, if they raise the max tiers, you still could have super teams. Like you are not legislating them away, but you are making it so prohibitively hard that it's not really realistic. And so I, I think that's where they're going to end up. And so, but what, how that affects Russell Westbrook is, if they raise the max tiers, even if he doesn't get to that 10-year experience level, he's leaving more money on the table. But there's no way to know that now, because even if, let's say, you have real ins at the Players Association, that's only one half of the negotiation. You know, I, and, and I yeah. don't think he's going to get intel on what the owners want. You know, I, I don't think they're going to give that to anybody right now, unless that's a part of the clandestine talk. So... 
you're dealing with these players that are doing that. And how that affects it more more likely for me with Russ is that if he were willing to ex- to accept a renegotiation, I think that it would be that one-year thing. Because while there are a lot of pieces of this puzzle that are in flux, one thing that is strangely consistent to me is the, is the idea of the experience levels. And so even though I personally think they're unfair... The idea of 10 years being some sort of marker in terms of max contracts is very likely. It's not definite, but it's very likely. So if Russ took a year, he would be at that point. And while you're making a different bet, there is a logic to saying, okay, well, at that point, I'll be eligible for whatever. And it's only one year at that point. So you're getting, an, I think it's like an $8.6 million raise for mm-hmm. this year and a lot of money for next year. And then you get out in a time where there will be more, hopefully there will be labor peace. You know, you get all that and you'll have a time to assess all the situation. So I think while you give Westbrook the opening of whatever he wants, because they should, that is the most likely thing he would accept. Well, and the other aspect of it, too, is that it'll allow him to evaluate what's happening in front of him. He can evaluate the thunder. If he if he does you know what you're suggesting, Danny, he can evaluate the Thunder, see how he fits with Victor Oladipo, see the progression of Stephen Adams, you know where Ennis Canner stands, if they can add anybody else in free agency next summer, and he can also watch other teams around the league. You know he can watch the development of the young core of the Los Angeles Lakers. He can see if the Celtics start to take another step, and then he can also. Um, because here's the thing with a, a trade that a lot of people, I think, kind of ignore. It's not like the Thunder are going to trade Russell Westbrook as a favor to some other team and just hand hand him over. They're going to want to get every bit back that they possibly can. And now, you know, the Celtics are a good example because they've got assets and they can actually make a, make an offer without having to con- completely gut their team but a lot of these other teams you know if you're the lakers the thunder are going to want d'angelo russell and julius randall and brandon ingram probably for russell westbrook and so what may what could have possibly made the lakers attractive to westbrook now is gone so you know i guess they would have the opportunity to maybe go sign people in free agency if russell westbrook's there uh, because of the market but you know that i think that that's the other factor here is that now russell westbrook can kind of push pause on this and instead of having to make an immediate choice you know, while maybe it might feel like he's letting you know a season or two go away that he, he wishes he could have back. Because I mean, the guy's hitting. I think he's going to turn 28 this year. He's coming into his prime, and that's the other factor I think that uh, is very important is that while Russell Westbrook can make a lot more money uh, in in practicality, Russell Westbrook is a competitive son of a gun, and you know he, especially in this situation now, he wants to be able to go challenge the Golden State Warriors more than anything. So he wants to be in a situation where he's going to get back to the level. He's he's grown very accustomed and very much enjoyed being one of the top teams in the NBA for the last you know basically six seasons running, and he's going to want to be back in that situation. And so I think that that as much as anything else is going to drive his his decision making here. The money is going to talk to him. There's no question about it. But the winning aspect is going to be be something important to him as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And it'll be a challenge also because the the parallel that I would use, and I agree with you to caution people about the value, is Carmelo Anthony. I mean, Carmelo Anthony being traded to the Knicks instead of signing with them as a free agent, and while that was justifiable from his standpoint, that made them substantially weaker. You know, they lost right. Danilo Gallinari, they lost Wilson Chandler, and Westbrook can play a fascinating role in this himself because of the idea of a renegotiation and extension. And so basically, depending on which team he, he, if he theoretically got traded this summer, he could affect his own value by saying he was willing to extend now. Because then you you take out the uncertainty. You Mm -hmm. could also do what it is rumored that Kevin Love did, which is an understanding that you will resign. 
of course we we know how that can how that can go in terms of promises can't be binding because if it's binding then it violates the CBA. So right. you know so so in, in terms of that, but that leads into the next question for me, which is there there are kind of two different ways of thinking about it. But so if Westbrook says either he's non-committal or he's a committed no to to extending now. And that's, you know, that's justifiable. It just depends on what he wants. Mm-hmm. Then that forces Oklahoma City to make a decision. It doesn't force a decision one way or the other, but what is your instinct, unless you have specific in- information you want to share, right. uh, about how they would take that information should that be what comes? I don't think that they – and this is – I could say that this isn't – I like to use the, the term informed speculation. So <laughs> that's what I would call this. I, I think that they – well, certainly, because they're going to have to consider trading him. So it, you're asking basically if he says no to the extension now, what's their next steps, if I understand sure. you right? yeah. Okay, so they would definitely then consider make the move to consider trading him. I don't know what the timetable on that would look like uh, because here's the thing. He can renegotiate that extension up until June 30th of next summer. So you know, while you know some of the factors there and some of the benefits of it would then go out the window – um, because you know he wouldn't make that eight and eight point six or whatever million dollars extra uh, this season. Um, he can still do that. I think the Thunder's point of view, Danny, is they just don't want to let him get to unrestricted free agency. They yeah. they don't want to have to sit there and let him and make their sales pitch and hope that he comes back because they feel fine about what they did with with Kevin Durant. You know, as, as one person told me high in the organization that you know if you told him in February. You're five minutes away from going to the NBA Finals with a game six on your home floor, but Kevin Durant might leave you. There's a good chance he's leaving. They're going to take the, the five minutes. I mean, that's what they're going to do because, you know, what what kind of opportunities these, – these don't come around all the time where you, you've got five minutes on your home floor to win a series that you're up 3-1. You're going to take that. So they – but they're not going to be in that same situation now with Russell Westbrook. You know, they can't sit there and say – we're, we're willing to roll the dice with Russell Westbrook and let him stick around because we think we can win an NBA title. Let's be honest here. They're not in that situation unless you know something goes horribly wrong with the Warriors or there's an injury or whatever. The Thunder aren't going to be in the title contending conversation this year, so they're not going to roll that dice in the same way that they were completely willing to with Durant. Plus, they, they strongly believed Kevin Durant was going to come back. I mean, uh, I've reported it uh, a, a number of times that while there weren't necessarily like, you know, promises per se like like you said there was definitely the strong impression and assurances kind of given that he was very serious about returning to the thunder so they operated kind of within that within that realm that like we, we can't make this move if we think this guy's probably going to come back and plus we have a chance to win an nba title so that's a different situation now with russell westbrook and i, I think it makes the most sense to trade him before training camp opens I think that one thing I would say too is that Russell Westbrook's going to give them clarity. Uh, I think that that's that's the expectation here is that whether it's a yes on the extension, a no on the extension, or and I don't think he's going to sit around and say, "Hey, let me let me see how it looks July 1st of 2017." I, I've gotten pretty strong indications that Russell Westbrook's going to going to be pretty definitive one way or the other. And that makes sense also because. Every, both sides know what the other side kind of wants in that sense, and so Westbrook knows that clarity is what Oklahoma City needs. It's basically, you could say, it's what they demand in that sense. And I agree with you that the context is incredibly important because I, I had said people had asked me, you know, considering my, my role in all this, they're like, well, what would it take for Oklahoma City to trade Kevin Durant? What I said is it would be two things. One, him saying definitively that he was not going to come back, which was never going to happen. And then the second thing would be that they weren't in contention. Because I think with with Oklahoma City, if you have a chance at a championship, 
even if he says he's not coming back, with where they kind of where where almost any team is as a franchise, you have to take that risk because a championship is forever. And you think about what that would have meant right. to the fan base. You know, like that is something that. I even think about it when I was, I just went up to Portland for the first time a couple of months ago and went to a Blazers game, how special that championship, and I believe it was 77, is for them. And yeah, I mean, the next year it ended up being that Bill Walton left. They didn't, you know, that I, I don't think they expected that at the time, but you know, you had all that kind of stuff. I think it was a year. And so, but, but you have that and you have that forever. And I think that mm-hmm. now you're right, that it's a very different context with Westbrook. And the other aspect of the timeline in terms of theoretically trading him if he said he didn't wouldn't extend is that, and we're, I've learned this from DeMarcus Cousins is a really good example of this, is that trade offers change a lot during a season. So part of the reason that you want to do it before training camp is clarity, but the other part is that a team can either... But either that team, the trading partner, can fall in love with some of their assets and take them off the table, or the Thunder could fall out of love with some of their assets. Like Boston, some of them are draft picks, some of them are actual players. You know, like I don't know if Jalen Brown would be in the deal, but we'll know a lot more about Jalen Brown in December. And right. that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. You, you don't really know. And yeah, Jeremy Lamb at one once upon a time looked like a nice asset for the Thunder. Right, know? right, right, right. And, and so I think that, we're, that that's the other place where this goes, and this might be an unanswerable question, but what what I find so interesting about these circumstances, and I, the Kings are actually a better example of this because it seems more likely that they're going to have to trade their guy eventually, is there are a lot of different kinds of assets. So there are I, I classified in three groups. One are already great players, you know, and, and we've seen trades like that as well, you know, where a good player gets traded for a good player. Then you have young players who are already in the league, and then the third one is draft picks. And while, of course, it's context-dependent, do you have any informed speculation, or is, <laughs> is, is it possible to have informed speculation about? Because those assets are very different in terms of some teams' minds. Some teams really fetishize picks, and there's not a right. bad thing about that, but they can do that because they can be anything. Do you have any instinct in terms of where the Thunder would go and if they had to choose between those aspects? Well, that, that's, that's a, to me, a really interesting question because the Thunder are unique in a potential rebuild than a lot of these other teams in that a lot of the assets that a lot of other teams would go be looking out to acquire if you lose a superstar player like a Russell Westbrook or a Kevin Durant, a lot of the, the type of players that you're now going to turn your attention to and try to go get, what, what is it that people would do? You try to go get young, you try to go get potential, and you try to go get you know high-level lottery picks. Well, the Thunder's got a team full of them, right? So, I mean, they've, got, they've already got all, a lot of these guys. The Thunder already got a roster basically all under the age of 25 outside of, uh, of Russell Westbrook. So you know, their, their core is very young and very good. So whether or not they could use those guys to potentially as trade bait and kind of flip it the other way, I think that there's potential of that. So I think picks would probably be something that, you know, Sam Presti's a master drafter. So I'm sure that he, he's going to probably want to have a pick, but then again, you're kind of at the mercy of, you know, the dice there and how they fall for you and what pick you end up landing on and what the draft class looks like that you're in and where that pick falls. So, I don't think the Thunder would necessarily just hit the reset button entirely and look to just gut everything. They're going to keep a lot of the guys that they have. I mean, they, they don't want to – because, like I said, you don't want to just give away you know young assets because those are what you're going to be trying to go get. You're going to be trying to go get a player like Steven Adams. You're going to try to go get a player like Victor Oladipo or a Cameron Payne. I mean, these, these are all lottery pick players. 
um, that are on rookie scale deals. So um, that's that's what you're kind of after. And and guys that are manageable assets that uh, you you can control. You know, you can control the restricted free agency. So the Thunder would probably value to answer your question directly. I think that the Thunder would probably value players that they could have a little bit of a book on and that they could probably bring in and feel like they could fit. But you, you can't turn down, you know, the third overall pick. <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel like that that, especially when you're Sam Presti and, you know, you've got such a good history of drafting and developing, especially high picks. I think that, you know, you, you're, you're certainly looking at that as much as anything because in the past you have been burned by a guy like a, a Jeremy Lamb where, you know, there's, there's just too many unknowns there about how a guy is going to go, especially when you didn't necessarily do all the scouting you didn't have him in the interview room you didn't you don't have the complete book on the guy so maybe there's there's not as the, the same comfort level as there would be if you could kind of go through the process of the draft i don't really know I, i'm kind of talking myself into both aspects here i could see it both ways and, uh, and that's i think that in it would definitely be a combination that they would be after as much as anything else sure and of course it also depends on the asset like there are certain players in the league that are that teams like better than other guys you know like that that's the nature of it and you can see them differently and one of the most compelling aspects of those kinds of things when you're thinking about a team's front office is that they can, of course, structure it in different ways, but on a lot of teams, their NBA scouts and their draft scouts are different people. And so you could have some people saying, hey, look, this, you know, D'Angelo Russell, he's awesome. And then you have somebody else who's like, hey, Harry Giles, he's awesome. And right. sometimes, and so the general manager's job in all circumstances, but especially in this one, is to take all of that information and assess it himself. But it is interesting that in a lot of these circumstances, the people who know one side might not know the other side as well. And and you're right that it would be a combination, but part of the reason why that choice matters is because, let's say, theoretically, the Lakers were interested, and also if, if theoretically Russell was interested in going there, they don't really have much in terms of draft assets. They have existing players, and that means that they would be dependent on either the Thunder liking those guys, which is extremely likely, considering they're very good, or liking or finding another team that is interested in them to make that move in one in one turn and we haven't seen that very often but Presti seems like somebody who could actually pull that off and part of what makes this situation just just fascinating also is as you mentioned Stephen Adams and the reason for that is that a lot of times you could think about that the kind of the default on it would be oh well if we don't know what what we want getting a good young center would be great the Thunder already have that they don't they don't need a young center Adams looked fantastic in the playoffs he fits and also while the thunder have some contracts that aren't the greatest they don't they're not in that also that situation where it's like oh you can take you can take this garbage from us too which actually helps them because that means that you can ask for better assets when you don't have to make that a part of the trade as well right you know like i assume you're you're referencing in his candor or kyle singler or Kostinger, yeah. In all fairness, those contracts, you know, the scope of them improve over time. Yeah, of uh, course. As the cap has, has has risen, but but you're right. I mean, you're not you're not trading Kyle Singler and getting something back. Um, probably at this point, other than a second round pick, if you're lucky. So, I do think that they can use all of that type of stuff. If I if I understand the point you're making, they can use kind of all of that collectively to then have their options open. So that is what puts them in an interesting position. And we haven't even mentioned DeMontis Sabonis, who's the 11th overall pick, and there's a lot of people high on him. And so now they've got him on the roster. So they've, they've you know been able to, to add a lottery pick already on this team, which is a young asset that they now have. So they didn't make that Serge Ibaka trade as a proactive kind of uh, insurance for you know if Kevin Durant leaves. They, they made it to try to strengthen their position for Durant to try to convince him to stay even more because he wanted to play, you know, he was high on Victor Oladipo and they thought that that would be something that Durant would be excited about. But 
as it's played out, that trade to me looks really, really good in hindsight because trading trading a player like Serge Ibaka makes a lot of sense. You know, he's going to be a free agent uh, next summer. Um, there was certainly signs pointing to him wanting to shop in the open market himself. So that trade there to be able to get those type of young assets back that looks good in retrospect, and that's that's the type of thing that they'd have to be looking at more of. Exactly, and that trade, which I was, I, I thanks for transitioning into it. That's about what that's what I was about to do is a great piece of information about the idea of trading. And so a lot of times we spend our energy focusing on oh who's a good trade fit, who matches, and what really happens when you talk about when you when you look at the the big trades that have happened in history is part of it is about good fit but the other part of it is who's willing to offer the most and i'm not completely sure that you know that oklahoma city i i'm sure they were listening to trades on Serge Ibaka, but i doubt they expected an offer this good was going to come down the pike so when that happens right. you take it and that's that's what you're looking for. You're always looking for kind of that silver bullet. And while you try to, like, somebody who has my job tries to match up, like, oh, this team makes sense for X player because they have right. money and all that, at a certain point, why why this is so fun is that sometimes the team just says, let's throw a bunch of stuff at this guy who we like, and then we're going to do it. And you can't always predict that, though I, I do think that if you had told me a team was going to come out of nowhere for Ibaka, Orlando is the team that I probably would have guessed. That's the fun of this, and now Oklahoma City has a fundamentally different team that I agree with you is, I think it was maybe a little bit differently suited if Durant had stayed, but it's unquestionably better suited now because you have these interesting young pieces. And one thing I wanted to ask you was, you talked about with Jeremy Lamb about not, you know, not really having a sense on the board, was how excited were the Thunder about Sabonis? Like, were they, was that somebody who they had had their eye on through some other context? Uh, yeah, they, they brought him in for a workout. They were pretty high on him for a lot of the year. And, you know, Sam Presti actually said something that I kind of found interesting, and it seems like a common sense thing when you're in his position. But, like, it kind of, you know, perked up my ears when he said it. But it was at the end of the season, it was when the Thunder didn't have a pick in the draft, first or second round. And he was kind of asked about, you know, what's it like, you know, being in the being having a season where you don't even have a draft pick. That's pretty unusual. And he said, well, we're going to prepare like we do every year as if we're making 60 picks. And I was kind of like, well, that's kind of an interesting way to look at the draft, isn't it? I mean, like, that you're, you're, you're going in and you're making all 60 picks, so you need to be ready and you need to be that prepared with every single player. But Sabonis was somebody that that they were certainly high on, and they're very high on him right now. I think he's an interesting case, Danny, and you could probably speak to this as well as I could that about the fit, but, you know, how does he fit in that front line now? You've got Ennis Canner, and, you know, in some ways – uh, Sabonis, to me, at least seems a little redundant. Like I said, you probably have a little better insight on this than I do because I'm not completely up to snuff on the college game. But, like, it seems like those two guys are a little bit redundant in what they do. You know, high-level offensive rebounders, a lot of motor, good pick-and-roll players. I think Sabonis is a far better passer. But, I mean, he, he's somebody that the Thunder, I think, wanted with that pick. I, I think that – I can't sit here and say that they wouldn't have made the trade if they were not getting Demonis Sabonis. But I think that that was kind of what signed, sealed, and delivered it because uh, he was somebody that they had certainly had their eye on. They brought him in for a workout. They'd interviewed him, and uh, they, they really, really liked him. So a separate point that I'll make and why that attitude is so smart and healthy is if you if you remember the reporting from when Zach Lowe talked to the Charlotte Hornets about why they didn't take the trades involving the pick that became Frank Kaminsky was that they didn't feel comfortable evaluating the players a little bit lower in the draft. That's why you have to scout the whole thing is because you never know if somebody's going to come at you with a ridiculous offer. And so Presti doing it that way is exactly right. On Sabonis, 
the difference is actually really compelling to me, and that's, I think that neither one, I mean, I'm somebody who really loves center defense and who thinks that rim protection is really mm-hmm. important, and I feel that Sabonis is a better fit with Steven Adams, whereas Ennis Kanner is a, is a really nice a really nice fit for just murdering second units. So, like, when Adams right. sits, you bring Kanner in. And I think Sabonis can do some of that, too. But I think Kanner is better in that role. And so that might actually be part of the resolution to this, depending on, of course, how everything else shakes out, is Sabonis plays more with Adams, though maybe you can play Kanner there, too, because he deserves plenty of minutes, of course. And then you have Kanner's primary... His primary role is, you know, playing whenever Adams is out. And then his secondary role is getting enough minutes otherwise. And so Sabonis... I think he has a little bit more stretch on his jumper, though Kanner did make some threes towards the end of the year. And as you said, his passing is really nice. And depending on what happens with Westbrook, no matter what, having more passing is a good thing. But Mm -hmm. especially if you are sliding away from as ball dominant a player, then that passing starts ratcheting up in importance because Oladipo is a good passer. He's a a guy who can handle the ball from, from primarily guarding twos. And so if you can get that from other spots, then that takes some of the pressure off. And I think that leads to an offense that can engage more people because you just have the idea of, oh, I have to be ready all the time because the ball might get to me. And right, so- and w- would you say would you say that Sabonis, he's more of a natural four, right? Yes, he's he's more of a four, I would say, on both ends of the four. I'd say he's, defensively, he moves his feet better. Offensively, I, th- I think he's more comfortable shooting. But what's what will be interesting about him at the four, because he played a lot of five at, Gonzaga, though, was, right. though they they kind of bounced it around with a couple of different guys that were unusual, is that it will be fun to see because I think his post game will work better on guys that are a little bit smaller than he is. He did a good job on Yaka Pertl, who's bigger, but I think that he's better in that kind of a context, and that's something I've talked about with Ben Simmons before as well, is that, you know, whether it be through switches or through just, you know, the fact that if he's playing the four, he's scaling down a position, you get more of those size mismatches, and he's such a, he's a smart guy, I think he's good at knowing how to take advantage of things when they are created, is that he will do well in that. And Kanter can bully almost anybody. Like that that's right. a benefit that he has. But defensively I think it's a lot more palatable and that's important. You know, part of what will make Oklahoma City whatever their team constitution is moving forward, part of why you're so happy you have Steven Adams is that if you can have a top ten defense, let's say, and build offense on top of that, that's what makes a team a real competitor. You know, that's the difference between being a a novelty, let's say, like Portland, and I'm not trying to discount what they've done, but between what they are and a title contender is reliable defense. And if you can do that, while offense, I would say, is more important just in terms of it's harder to find guys who are really good offensive players, if you can get that foundation in a guy like Adams and then you can get other players who fit within that, it gives you a, a nice basis to be relevant for a long time. Yeah. No question about it, and I, I think that when I think of it, because when I think of Tanner, I think he's more naturally fitted as a five, probably like you said. It, you know, he's got his limitations; we, those are well documented. So it, it's kind of hard to, to shoehorn him. But but overall, I, I think as I look at like kind of the scope of the Thunder roster, I, don't know, I guess I'm still operating under the assumption that Russell Westbrook is going to be a part of it. Um, I guess that's really kind of the only way I can think of it. But they clearly have a glaring hole at the small forward position because, like, right now you're asking yourself. Who, who the heck is your starting small forward? Is it Kyle Singler? Is it Josh Eustis? Do you 
slide Andre Robertson to small forward, which I think is probably the most reasonable thing you do, and start Victor Oladipo. But you also lost your starting power forward, so who's starting there? Do you Could you start Sabonis? I mean, could he step in as a rookie and be a starter? Are you starting Irsan Ilyasova? I mean, there, there's a ton of questions there. And then the other thing, you know, they added Alex Sabrinas, who's a very high-level shooter, but he's also coming from Europe. There's a lot of unknowns there. How is he really going to translate to the NBA game? You know, if, if let's let's say you know if you start Canner, which to me, I, I know a lot of people are kind of speculating that that's going to be the case. I don't think that that's what I would do for all the reasons you just mentioned, Danny. Is that he he's most effective in those like short bursts of minutes. You know, that's the thing. I think Billy Donovan handled Ennis Canner really well last year and got kind of the most bang for his buck because he was playing him like eighteen like you know energy fueled minutes to get out there and put up twelve and ten against largely second unit guys. And that way, you know, he's not getting punished defensively as much. They kind of they were able to kind of guard against his limitations in a lot of ways. So, but if you start Ennis Canner, let's say you got Westbrook, Oladipo, Robertson, Canner, Adams. I mean, who's your best shooter in that group? Is it is Ennis Canner your best shooter in that starting five? So, he might be. <laughs> I know. So I mean, they are. I think the Thunder as a whole. I think that they're in. You know, they're in good shape. I think if I was going to pick them right now, I think I'd I'd say they're going to win. 47 plus games you know i think that they're going to be the sixth best team in the west you know i you, you can make a case from being in that mid-tier you know alongside like you said the blazers uh the grizzlies you know kind of kind of in that group i think that you know they've got clear talent but they also don't make a lot of sense right now and they've got some holes that they got to fill they can't do anything until westbrook gives them clarity but i'm kind of morbidly fascinated to see how they're going to come together and something else that always comes together really well is a blue apron meal and I've been incredibly impressed with Blue Apron. I've been a subscriber for a few months now because it is excellent food, but it is also sustainable food. And for me, it's also increased my cooking confidence. I'm somebody who grew up eating really good food, but never really had a chance to make it because my parents are both talented chefs and they like being in the kitchen. And so for me to be able to, to cook things like cod and salmon, which are also sustainably caught and they're done in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, which is very big for me also as the brother of a talented marine biologist, that you, you get this food which you can learn how to cook, tastes great, and is very reasonably priced. So for about $10 per person per meal, you can get excellent food delivered to your door. And while it has been an incredible experience for me, you don't have to take my word for it because you can just go to blueapron.com slash realgm and you can get three meals for free, including free shipping. And so you can try it out, see if you love it as much as I do. I'm thrilled that I was able to start promoting it after I'd already really loved using it because I firmly do believe in this product. And so again, you can go to blueapron.com slash realgm, just like this podcast and the website I write for, R-E-A-L-G-M, and you can check out those three free meals. Hope you love it. Now back to the conversation with Mr. Royce Young. Yeah, I think that if if Westbrook stays, the Blazers are the model because what they proved is that with a dominant a dominant player and you know enough competent pieces around them and good coaching, a team can do really well. And while I think Portland last season, you know the fourth seed overstated, you know how good they were just because a couple of teams fell off. Memphis basically having their whole team hurt, Utah having their point guards all hurt. You know I, I think that understated it, and I think that if if they could get kind of to that level, that would probably you're right make them the sixth or seventh team. And the other fascinating element, and this is something, you know, covering the Western Conference Finals, as we both did, is 
Robertson's a uh, just a fascinating player, and I think in some ways his best role, if you had these the wing guys, which which they don't right now, is actually playing offensively, being the power forward, because he can slide yeah. in and do a bunch of different stuff. However, this is why I always separate offensive and defensive roles. I mean, you could say that the best thing for him would be to defensively probably guard threes because he's you know he's a, a really or twos you know he's a great defensive player, and so generally speaking, most teams have better perimeter players than than starting power forwards though of course we know of a couple exceptions so it'll be something like that and Ersan Ilyasova actually fits pretty well with that because he can shoot he's not a great ball handler I mean that would be a better thing to have in the other guy but you know Ersan's good I actually feel I'm of course you're closer to the situation my instinct would be that Ilyasova and Adams will start at the four and five yeah that that's opens kind of things up too. a little bit more and there is also a very logical out with that which I personally agree with with Abrinas and with Sabonis about starting, especially if you have some expectations, starting those guys on the bench and acclimating them in that way, because, and you can only, maybe you only do that for a month or two, you know, you do that just to get, to get them used to it, because even in a, in the case of somebody like, like Sabonis, who, you know, his dad played in the NBA, he was at Gonzaga, you know, it's not like, sometimes when people hear a foreign sounding name, they go, oh, he's going to have to do all these adjustments, and Sabonis doesn't right. have to do most of those, but the NBA is an adjustment for everybody. You know, like, and that's something that, that I've heard a lot, you know, covering people as they've gone through the Warriors is the 82 game season and just the frequency of games is something that you really have to adjust to. And so for those players, especially when they're, you know, a little bit younger, and Brinus, I think he's still like 21, right? 21, 22. Yeah, I think he's just turning 22, maybe. So for those guys, going to playing, you know, let's say on average three times a week, that's a big adjustment. And so if you can do that playing 15 to 20 minutes a game at the outset, I think that really helps. And I remember, I think Steph Curry was one of the guys, Clay Thompson definitely was, who, when it got later in the season, they're like, this is really long. And so yeah. you can save them a little bit, especially if you have expectations of, you know, making the playoffs. And ideally, anytime you make the playoffs, you want to make a little bit of noise. Then not burning those guys out a little bit is definitely a good thing. And and also, Donovan deserves an immense amount of credit. You talked about it with Kanner, and that's definitely true, of trying out guys in kind of different circumstances. It did take him a little while to get to the Westbrook Durant stagger, but you can right. not start Sabonis and still play him with Steven Adams. Like you, you can you can strike those balances. It's not that hard. You know, you play maybe a little bit at the set in the second quarter or you do all these other things. And so what they should be trying to do, let's say by the All Star break, regardless of what their team composition is, is okay, we're definitely dealing with more uncertainty than we've had in six years. So who works with who? Yeah. And I'm in complete agreement about what I think kind of makes sense as the starting five, starting Ilyasova. I feel like this is overstating it when I say it, but in some ways, Ilyasova does offensively, offensively, what Serge Ibaka provided them. Sure. And, you know, he's a stretch player, shoots threes. You know, Ibaka, I, I would say, is a better shooter, although Sir Ibaka regressed significantly as a jump shooter last year. Was that a down year? Was, you know, are, are things tailing off for him? You know, that's really hard to tell because Ibaka is like a truly elite jump shooter and has been over the past a uh, couple of years and he didn't have a very good year shooting it last year but that's also been because he's been trying to expand out to the three-point line and becoming a pure stretch four which was kind of a uncomfortable transition for Ibaka so but to your point about Andre Robertson you know it's, it's funny to me and the way Billy Donovan was able to kind of utilize him as a power forward uh, in the postseason I think was really uh, intelligent and you know I actually asked Andre Robertson at, at exit interviews 
about because I kind of had a player in mind because you, they started using Robertson in the pick and roll a little bit more, and there's been so much focus on like Andre Robertson's got to become a knockdown shooter. Well, guess what? The guy hadn't really shot a three until he got to the NBA, and that's that's not exactly like the most easily developed skill. It's not like you can just say go shoot ten thousand threes over a summer and you're going to magically turn into a great shooter because when you get in the NBA environment and a fast-paced game, all those mechanics and all those difficult things they don't necessarily always translate consistently. So. You know, Andre Robertson, yes, he needs to become a better shooter to become a more effective player. But the player that I kind of had in mind was Draymond Green. And uh, to be able to do, you know, to be an, you know, a very, very poor man's Draymond Green, but be able to put Robertson in a pick and roll as a power forward and, you know, uh, have him as a roller that can catch, create some, you know, kind of four on three opportunities and maybe take a dribble and kick to somebody. He's not a horrible passer. He just really doesn't have the ball in his hands very much. And that's the player I, you know, I asked him, like, is there any player that you might kind of watch? Because he said he wanted to work in the pick and roll more. And he mentioned himself, Draymond Green. So, you know, I think that that could be an interesting kind of wrinkle that they, they look into. And if you can turn Andre Robertson uh, into a more effective uh, player that, that, you know, teams don't necessarily have to respect his jump shot because that's just really not going to happen. But if you can have it to where you have to respect him offensively and he can be a little bit of a weapon for you because that's what the Thunder turned him into uh, against both the Spurs and the Warriors was an offensive weapon because teams just kind of didn't guard him and they were able to take advantage of that. You want his defense on the floor. I mean, Andre Robertson is a very, very good, versatile defender, uh, especially on the ball. So, you know, I, I think that in, in that case, that's a big development. And uh, like you said, Danny, Billy Donovan's kind of got, you know, a blank canvas here, and I'm, I'm sure he's crestfallen about the fact that he's left Florida to come coach the Thunder, and now Kevin Durant is gone when his expectation probably was to coach a legendary player for the next 15 years. Now that's over with. But I, I'm sure there's a part of him that's also probably pretty cranked up about this. I bet he's pretty excited about the fact that, like, he gets to dig in and really coach now and come up with some stuff because he tinkered all season long with lineups and rotations, and now he's got to do that to an incredible degree this year to find what works because uh, even with the fact that he tinkered and toyed, that was pretty standard. The Thunder starting lineup has been pretty consistent, even going back to Tabo Cephalosha and Kendrick Perkins. I mean, they've had a pretty formulated structure of how they start games. Now they've lost two starters. They've got to start from scratch here, basically, and rebuild this thing. Yeah, they do. And the line for that Draymond Green role is probably two dribbles and a good decision. And right. That is, I, w- I would agree that that's more realistic for Robertson than developing a reliable jump shot. And, you know, it's not, it's not the same thing, of course. And one of the answers, and Milwaukee is probably the best example of this, is one of the best ways to use a player who is limited in terms of their jump shot is to involve them in the primary action of the play. Because you have to defend mm-hmm. that. You, you like that's why you put the ball in Giannis's hands. That's why you do things like that. Because then you you don't have to deal with that because you can't lag off the guy who has the ball, and right. especially if he can pass. And so th- they can work with him on that. And it's possible just with the kind of the nature of all of this that that will energize him because that's something that is more fun to get better at. You know, like shooting, it's just a bunch of time in an empty gym. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily yield results, and it can be very it, right. It, it, yeah. But it's, it's such a like a it's, shooting is such a cut and dry thing of like I put all this time in in the gym and I walked out and I went oh of five tonight. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, I think I agree with you on Donovan that he he does have a very different challenge now, but it's a good one. And they don't have a bear cupboard. I, I think that that's an important distinction to make because if they did, then that's less fun intellectually. I mean, you can look at what Brett Brown had to do with Philadelphia that, you know, that there, there is an intellectual curiosity with that for sure. 
but being able to do it with good players is a lot better. And they right. definitely have talent. And so the couple of guys, just because of the uncertainty around them, that I wanted to ask you about. Cameron Payne, he had surgery to repair a Jones fracture is what I believe mm-hmm. you're the one that reported it. So, but it sounds like it's it's that kind of preliminary thing where it's more of like a six to eight week recovery. Right, yeah, he's expected to be back fully healthy for training camp. Um, obviously, people around the Thunder organization are a little bit uh, sensitive about Jones fractures just because of what happened with Kevin Durant, but there's multiple people have told me that, and if you've ever seen a picture of Kevin Durant's feet or just seen, and you'll see him in, in uh, Oakland this year, Kevin Durant does not have your ordinary human's foot. So, like, I mean, that guy, it looks like he's got water skis on, on the end of his legs. So um, I think that that was kind of the problem. But, yeah, Cameron Payne should be uh, ready to go for training camp. And then Mitch McGarry, his situation is, of course, a little bit more nebulous just because of, of what's going on. What What is your read on that situation right now? That's a tough one, man, And because, you know, obviously he's suspended uh, five games to start next season. He, you know, took personal leave from the team. And they, they didn't disclose a reason. I think we can all kind of read the tea leaves here and figure out what was going on. But, you know, every indication I had from everybody leading into training camp last year and in the preseason was Mitch McGarry's going to be a big part of the rotation. Mitch McGarry could be an, X, an X-Factor type potential player um, because he's a very good passer, high-energy player. I mean, he, he's similar to kind of what uh, Sabonis is in a lot of ways. And they felt like McGarry was going to kind of fit into what a lot of the, the changes that Billy Donovan was going to install, which was – having big men being able to transport the ball from one side of the floor to the other, um, really kind of running more actions through uh, high post and you know moving the ball side to side a lot more often. McGarry got a concussion in training camp, fell completely out of the rotation, never was, got out of shape, and never was able to work back in it. The organization has always been really high on him because, I mean, if anybody ever watches Mitch McGarry, you can see the talent is there. I mean, the guy's got an incredible motor, and he's got really, really unique basketball ability, but he's just one of those guys that, like, is he going to put it together? Is he going to get his act together? Is he going to stay in shape? Is he going to do the things that he needs to do off the court? And to me, the signal of, of drafting or you know trading and, and acquiring DeMontis Sabonis, to me, signaled that they're kind of done with Mitch McGarry. I think that they're willing to you know, keep him around because the, the there, there's a need for extra for, front court depth, especially after losing Serge Ibaka and Kevin Durant. But McGarry really doesn't have any trade value at this point, but I, I don't think that they would hesitate to to throw him into a deal. They've always been high on him because they can see the ability and the talent that he has, but I don't know how he's going to fit in. He's got a big training camp ahead. He was really good in summer league, played pretty well in Orlando, but unless he has, a, I think, a solid training camp, I don't really know what his future holds for the Thunder. Yeah, and the other challenge with that for him in terms of it being a big training camp is that he's still that's around when Oklahoma City is going to be deciding on his final year of his rookie scale deal right and 2.4 million isn't isn't a ton in the current cap climate but it would also be a big statement around the league because as you said Oklahoma City was the team was really behind him and so if they said he's not worth that it's a huge statement to everybody else. You know, it's kind of like that idea of, you know, like when when the team that knows somebody best is willing to let them go. Right. And so that would be, so I, I think that it would really affect his value around the league. But at the same point, you know, it, it, it could be justifiable based on not only the, the stuff on the court, but of course more in some ways importantly, the stuff off the court. And so that will be worth watching as well. And I mean, I do think that we are, moving away from option years being declined. And I mean, Solomon Hill is an example of how that can go mm-hmm. wrong. But at the same point, there will be P.J. Harrison's, there will be maybe Nick Stauskas this year. And so McGarry having that kind of, let's say, stain on him beyond everything else that happened would be notable. 
Right. And and also, if you're the Thunder, and you know, I'd have to get really kind of dig into their books and and uh, really get a better idea. I haven't really looked too much into what their 2017 outlook looks like. But if you're the Thunder, one of the selling points to Russell Westbrook is to get the max level cap space next summer to make a run, as a lot of people have kind of speculated, Blake Griffin. So, uh, or a, a a player of high caliber that you could bring in and pair with Westbrook along with you know Stephen Adams and Victor Oladipo. So even while $2.4 million in NBA terms next season is kind of pennies, it's also a little extra cap space that you're carving out. So I think that, you know, there's no guarantee about it is, is the way I would put it. Yeah, that's certainly fair. Uh, to give a, a rough ballpark estimate, so if they kind of let the Collison, Moro, Ilyasova group go, they would need to clear about $15 million, which coincidentally is about what Hennis Kanter is going to make, so they could do it that <laughs> way and do yeah. it. Or, you know, they could, they could have some other, other pieces, but... What makes their potential cap space fascinating for 2017-18 is that Adams and Robertson are going to be on really low cap holds. You know, Adams is about, I think it's about mm-hmm. $8 million. Robertson's about 5 and a half. And so, but then that gets into the question of, you know, because if you're going to do it that way and you're going to use that space, then you're starting to dance close to the luxury tax. And, well, but the thing about that is it's true, and that would, for ownership, would be a big thing, just like it is for every team, like Portland's going to go through that next year, is that if you got another max player and kept Russell Westbrook, that team would be really good. Right. I mean, I I don't know that they would necessarily, you know, because Lord knows how good the Warriors are going to be. I mean, so, like, that's why everybody's operating in this scope of, like, how good can you get, but is that good good enough? You know, I mean, like... You know, you can get really, really good, but, like, if you're the third best team in the NBA right now or the fourth best team, like, is that good enough? Because isn't everybody kind of playing for for probably third at this point? So, um, but the Thunder can certainly get back in the conversation. And uh, because while Kevin Durant has been removed, you you can't downplay the fact that Kevin Durant has been removed from this roster, which is a huge, just massive Grand Canyon size hole. Uh, in the middle of it, uh, they are just one player kind of away from replacing, you know, at least in in function to re- kind of resupport the team that was up three one on the Warriors. You know, so they're not going to get a Kevin Durant caliber player back. But if you can kind of refine and refill it out, they've got Victor Oladipo who could be a unique fit alongside Res- Russell Westbrook. They've got now Sabonis who maybe develops into. They've got Adams who's blossoming into um, a very high caliber starting center. Um, the potential is there for the Thunder to get really good again really fast and. Again, it all just kind of begins with with Russell Westbrook, and you can be sure that this is the pitch that Sam Presti's making to him, saying, "Look, man, if you just sign up for this thing, we can we can get back to where we need." Because, you know, I'm sure Presti's telling him, "Look around the league. Where else are you going that's going to give you a better chance to get back in the conversation?" To me, outside of the Spurs, if, if Westbrook were just to wait a year and and try to go sign in San Antonio. I don't know where he's going that's necessarily going to elevate him back into the title conversation quicker than what he could probably get there with most likely the Thunder. I mean, the Celtics, the Celtics are a nice team, but if you add Russell Westbrook to that, you know, especially if they have to gut, if they have to take away Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart and other pieces, are they really that much better off for a future long-term run at, at titles or at least contention than the Thunder would be? It's definitely a, a more challenging question, and that's also part of the reason why, to me, if I were Westbrook, free agency would be more interesting than a trade. Because, you know, if, if he could go to the Celtics without them right. losing anybody, then, yeah, they'd be really yeah, good. Yeah, the Celtics are really good. <laughs> yeah, they, they would be, and that, that's what they did with Al Horford, is, you know, you, you got that guy without giving anything up. And if 
let's say the Lakers guys do better than, you know, do well, not, not do better than expected, but let's say they do well, you know, then yeah. that becomes more interesting. But yeah, I, I, I think that Westbrook is in that place and there is this really weird kind of nasty logic of if he said, oh, well, no matter where I, no matter what happens, I want to see free agency that does actually curtail his value a little bit and actually yeah. make that more, more palatable, but it also could be realistic. And something that I think is completely in tune with what I know about Westbrook is the idea that I think he'll, he would like to, if possible, my instinct is kind of see where things are, because as much as we're having trouble piecing together what the Thunder are, I think everybody is, you know, it's, there's a lot of it that you need to see in practice and he is, it's the only team he's ever known going to Boston, going to the Lakers, going to whoever else, like maybe Sacramento for whatever reason, they're the Orlando Magic in, in, in this trade, and they make they make some ridiculous offer. You know, it could be anybody. There are a lot of teams that are asset-rich. Minnesota, you know, Minnesota could make an right. offer. Is that he's good? That's going to be a very big thing. And, what, and while we all like to think about, you know, this in terms of the playing standpoint, which is certainly incredibly important, there's a lot more to being a part of a franchise and committing to them long term beyond that especially because the players can change you know you're living in a city you know Russell Westbrook is a married guy you know you're, you have to you have to assess everything else like that and so yeah. to be willing and able to make a commitment to somewhere not necessarily sight unseen but pretty close that's a lot to ask you know there aren't there are a lot of people who it would be justified especially when the money will be similar just because we don't know where the cap is going and he'll he'll get he'll get maxed out next year so i could totally see him just saying there's no realistic way that i am going to be able to know enough to make that commitment yeah absolutely i mean like you said danny it's a good point there's the, there's a true human element to this and westbrook certainly has a connection with the thunder organization um you know for one you know, they, they kind of stuck their neck out there to draft him uh, number four overall where they did. Uh, Westbrook hasn't forgotten that. And the fact that, you know, he's been a polarizing player that's faced a heavy amount of criticism over criticism over the last eight years. And the Thunder have never wavered in standing by that guy. And Russell Westbrook is, you know, fully aware of that. And I know when we talk about loyalty and stuff in professional sports, you're, you're basically just, you're just saying words that really don't have a lot of meaning here. But there is that element here that I think that, that Russell Westbrook um, certainly feels uh, kind of a connection to the organization. And plus, you know, he's been left pretty burnt by this whole thing with Durant, too, himself. So he understands now that, you know, if I leave, too, then I burn the organization to the ground in a summer. And, you know, Durant's, you know, he, he's left such a chasm and left them completely reeling. And now it's, you know, Westbrook's now had to kind of been forced, has been forced into this decision himself. And if Westbrook leaves, then it's all over. I mean, it, they've got to start from scratch. They truly do. So, and Westbrook understands kind of the gravity of it. And I think that that, and that's something I kind of wrote this week is that, you know, people have been like, you know, why has Russell kind of been silent? Why has he been pulled back? You know, why isn't he kind of giving an answer? Why isn't he saying, I got this? Well, he wants to take time himself. I think it's kind of a mature, responsible thing to do to say like, look, let me pull back and kind of figure this out right now while we're in August and it doesn't really matter too much. And that way I can kind of have some clarity and, and, and understand what the direction I'm going in myself. And that way I can inform the organization and then they can move on themselves one way or the other. And there's an idea of an informed decision and that while there, there are a lot of moving pieces, not only with the Thunder, but with everybody else. And there is a benefit to having clarity on all sides. But 
it, there's also a benefit to being sure of your decision before you make it, you know, before you right. announce it, because once that, once that wheel starts moving, whatever that decision is, then, then things start to get more permanent. And so he owes it to himself, to his family, to be really, really ready for that. And I think he, in a, in a way, he owes it to the Thunder, too, because his decision affects the long-term vision of it. And either way, if he was unsure of it or was wavering or changed his mind, that screws the Thunder a lot more than than him just being waiting a little longer to be sure of it, especially when, surprise, surprisingly in some ways, most of the elements around him aren't really going to change much in August, you know, like unless something really surprising happens, that is the kind of the dead time in the NBA. And and that was true for uh, the end of July as well. I mean, for basically Durant decided on the fourth is that from, from that point, you know, like while they could have, you know, signed some free agents and done some stuff, most of these things were pretty well settled. And, you know, Boston, I don't think Boston's going to like make a decision on how they're going to resolve their roster before a little bit before training camp. So, you know, if, if he needs to take some time to be really sure, that's fine. Right. You know, from the perspective of it, I know a lot of people would sit there and say, well, you know, shouldn't he just wait and become a free agent and tell him, hey, I'll I'll figure it out next summer and, you know, the cap's going to jump and, you know, I'll sign for long term, get that fifth year. And, you know, from the Thunder's perspective, they're saying, why why would you, man? You make more money if you sign this extension now. Um, and so they would they would view this as if you're saying I just want to wait, then you're saying that there's a good chance I'm not coming back. And then that's when I think the Thunder would kick into action to trade him. And so that's that's kind of like. You know, there's, there's, this is like an incredible domino effect of things that it's, the ball is going to roll all over the place. And that's why the Thunder, I think, are really kind of using the extension as a metaphorical statement of his commitment. You know, it's like, you know, obviously it's a tangible commitment to, to sign an extension, but it's also him, you know, if, if he sits here and says, hey, I, I want to sign long term next summer. I promise you I'll come back. I promise I'll do it. They're saying, well, why would you wait for that? You make more money if you do it now. You know, we cleared out this cap space. You can do this and you, you sign it now. And then, you know, that way we, we know for sure. And we can take that to other players. We can stabilize ourselves. We can make moves throughout the season that now w- with kind of that clarity and understanding of like, look, we know where we've got Russell Westbrook for at least two or three more years and we can operate uh, with that in mind. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's certainly reasonable. And I know. I I feel like I've I've danced around it a little bit during this, but it's been you know about twenty days. Have you kind of uh, yourself, having been so close to this team, really kind of thought about the the legacy that this Durant Westbrook era will have, both in Oklahoma City and in the NBA? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and I think that most people will look back on it pretty fondly. I think. I mean, they they truly did have something pretty special, and. Uh, for for those two guys to to really kind of because it, it in some ways it was bigger than basketball you know on the court what they were able to build chemistry wise and the way that they grew together you know they had some low spots some rocky moments but they grew together both on and off the court and I think that that kind of development and evolution between them was really special to see but on top of that what was bigger than basketball is the way that those two guys were able to really you know plant the flag for an organization in a new city. And those two guys are, you know, really kind of established the culture of the Thunder. You know, the, the while Sam Presti and the front office and the and the organization itself have done a great job, it really was about Westbrook and Durant really setting the standard for everybody else to kind of operate by. And I, and I think that those two guys just work so well together. And in the areas that Durant was maybe deficient in, Westbrook could kind of pick him up, you know, and then the and vice versa. And they they worked really well together. And but I, I do think that. 
as we look back on it, I think we're all kind of anticipating the oncoming 30 for 30. I guess it may be like a 50 for 50 uh, when we finally get to that, but of like the missed opportunity there. And it's a shame that those guys never won any, won the whole thing together uh, because they truly did have a pretty special bond. But I think that that's, that's kind of the, the hard thing to kind of process here as everybody moves on from, from Durant leaving is that, you know, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant are going to play against each other now. And that's, that's, that's just kind of weird to think is that they had such an incredible chemistry between them to think that now Durant has left. And, you know, basically I don't know how much I really buy into the reports that, you know, Russell Westbrook's style of play was, you know, what pushed Kevin Durant to leave. But I mean, the proof is in the pudding here. He chose new teammates. I mean, that's what he did. So in some ways, that is a little bit of a referendum on his feeling on Westbrook. If he, if he wanted to play with Russell Westbrook, he'd still be playing with Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I think that it's, it's a really complicated legacy in the sense that I, I regret a lot of times that as both as sports media and fans, that it, there is a lot of championship or bust in it. Because I think what Westbrook and Durant did, as you said, is that they built they built something out of something really close to nothing. Because while Seattle did have a, a nice foundation, you know, they had some really mm-hmm. successful teams. They had kind of gone away from that. You know, they traded, of course, they traded away Ray Allen. You know, you had all this other stuff that was going on. And so you come to a new city, you have a team that is unbelievably terrible early on, though, of course, there were some really positive signs. And they became a power. They became a force in the league. And there was a lot of uncertainty around the league and that they were a team that, whether they were as good as everybody wanted them to be, they were definitely interesting. They were definitely compelling. I mean, they were a team that I found myself watching as much or more than any other team for the last seven right. years. And I think that, so that is a part of it, is, is that, is, and that is the part that I do not want to be discounted. But there is also the idea that for a variety of reasons, I think they reached their ceiling for a stretch of time from game two of the Spurs series to game four of the Warriors series. And for that stretch of time, they were the team that I always thought they were going to be. And that's something for me is that I I like to think about teams in terms of their ceiling. And so for that stretch of time, they were not only the best team in the league, they were the best team in the league probably since that Spurs team that waxed Miami in the finals a couple years ago. Like that's yeah. how good they were. They were better than the Warriors were the year the Warriors won the title. But that, that and and that was great to see. Like I mean, being in the building at Chesapeake when they when in Game Three and Game Four when they ran the Warriors off the floor. That's something I'll never forget because that team was special. And I think that glimpse is important because that reminds us that while a lot of the things that reasons that didn't happen before were outside of the control, especially of Durant and Westbrook, because the injuries were to various guys, including them. But part of me is really happy that we did get to see that because it was a reminder that, oh, yeah, these guys could be the foundation of a truly special group. And that's what is just keeping Presti and the Thunder organization and Thunder fans up at night all the time is the thought of, like, they did reach that kind of pinnacle. They they scratched the surface of how special they could be, and it was all kind of coming together under Billy Donovan, and the roster had been kind of surgically and meticulously created, and, and here it was. It was kind of blossoming in front of them. And while, yes, they blew even a 3-1 lead on the Warriors, just come back again and do it all together with a full season together, and you can maybe break through that. And Durant left. So, I mean, I think that that's all the things that you described, Danny, is why the Thunder are just so gutted by this, by Durant leaving, is because they could see it. They could see it kind of all happening in front of them. And while, yeah, I think some people might look at that as, 
well, they scratched the surface, they reached their potent, true potential, and it wasn't good enough. And maybe that's what Kevin Durant himself felt. You know, a lot of people, especially within the Thunder, are looking at this saying, man, how could you just not give it another chance? Like, you, you saw how good it could be. I mean, this is, this is like really, really good. And, you know, they felt like they improved the team even in the offseason. So that's certainly what's, what's uh, keeping Sam Presti up at night. And that's exactly why I thought he was going to sign one plus one because yeah, I thought you, yeah. you give it one more chance and you get complete, you know, you get a lot of plausible deniability if it doesn't work out. You know, it's like, oh, you know, we, we got that close once and do that. And it's so hard because, I mean, you think about these, you know, it's it's one guy's decision and there are so many things that factor into it and that, you know, that it, it, fun, it changes the league. You know, it changes the league yeah. forever. And it does add a weird mystique to the thunder that you know that we only saw it for the for this glimpse and of course that isn't to discount making the finals before and having other really great teams but i think that i think and, and you probably agree with me on this that that stretch was different even than when they made the finals because they were just well maybe they oh. that, that couple end games against the spurs the year they made the finals and i believe that was 2012 yeah they were just kind of playing out of their minds then though but, I mean. <laughs> but this like that was like their realized potential. And I think a big part of that was also Durant defensively. Like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I had thought for years, you know, like there, you always, for me, you focus on the idea of like what a guy could be. And to see that with him and Ibaka and what I called the Megadeth lineup, this team that like those Draymond at center Warriors teams that was able to have that offensive impact, but not give away anything on the defensive end. Absolutely. And that was the huge development. And, that was one of the things that I was really excited and really curious to see this season was Durant at power forward, especially because you traded Serge Ibaka, so the hole was there. Would Billy Donovan really have walked into the season and maybe started Oladipo at the two, Robertson at the three, and started with the season with Kevin Durant as his power forward? So, I mean, there was there was a lot of intriguing, interesting things about where they were going to go next because those lineups were just terrifying, and they gave the Warriors so many different problems. And really... I don't know what what history looks like, and if those final five minutes of of Game Six had gone different, you know, maybe the Thunder beat the Warriors, they lose the Cav, Durant still leaves. I don't know, but surely, you know, it makes all the sense in the world. For most people, it would have felt like, like you said, Danny, it would just you if you're Kevin Durant, you would observe, you know, you're up three one, you see all that's happening in front of you, and say, yeah, I got to give this another chance. This is all coming together for me. And uh, but you know, he obviously he wanted to make the decision sooner than later. Yeah. Those five minutes, and then the five minutes that ended Game Seven of the NBA Finals. Because I know, man, it's amazing. I will, I will believe, and and if if I could give KD truth serum, I, I firmly believe that he would agree with me. Is that if the Warriors win the finals, he doesn't come. At least not right. That. Maybe then he signs the one plus one and, and does it. And so if either one of those completely shocking developments, the Warriors not scoring, I believe, in the final four thirty six of Game Seven of the NBA Finals at home, or what happened to the Thunder and at the end of Game Six of the West. Conference Finals, like those two things were superlatively unusual basketball moments, and it took all of that for this. But that is what we're dealing with now, and I, I think that one qu- question to kind of close on is: while I think you did a great job of, of framing the conversation with Russell Westbrook, what is your, if you had to guess right now? Like you don't have to put any money on it, but if you had to guess how this situation resolves, let's say if you and I, if I called you on Skype on July twenty seventh, twenty seventeen. How do you think that the last year has gone in terms of Westbrook? I think that he's going to have signed an extension in Oklahoma City, and I mean, it's it's so it's so funny how you know one decision from one player who's a completely different human being than another player can then make you feel like you doubt yourself on what you feel like you 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 think really strongly about. 
But I, I think Russell Westbrook, it, it makes in the same way it made so much sense for Kevin Durant to sign the one plus one with Oklahoma City to stay around in another year. It makes a lot of sense for Russell Westbrook to do the renegotiation up and stay with with the Thunder and basically decide that like, look, I'm I'm going to pick up the torch and I'm going to carry this thing on and it's going to it's going to be uh, I'm going to be the, the you know the kind of cultivator of the organization from here on out. That's that's what I I think is going to happen and. Um, I think one thing people obviously have to understand is that while yeah maybe maybe I sat here and said the same things about Kevin Durant that or you know other people would have felt the same thing that surely he's going to sign the one plus one these are very different people and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook think differently and feel differently about a lot of different things so just because Kevin Durant did something one way doesn't mean Russell Westbrook's going to do something the other way or the same way but I think this time next year Russell Westbrook's still in a Thunder uniform I think. I'd say I'm like 65% confident on that, but things can change quickly. And I think that we're going to have some, some pretty strong understanding of, of what his future is going to be by media day. Uh, just because I don't think Russell Westbrook's going to sit down at a podium for what I, I expect to be his first public comment since Durant left with an uncertain future. I don't think he's going to sit up there and say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not really sure yet. I haven't thought about it yet because he's clearly thinking about it right now, and I think he's going to know himself, and I think he's going to tell the organization. So if Russell Westbrook is in a Thunder uniform come September 29th or whenever media day is, I think that that means he's going to be in a Thunder uniform this time next year as well. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair. And so for, you have the challenge of recalibrating based on what you've learned, but you don't want to over correct because right. they're different yeah. people and also because the situation changes it as you said before you know what durant did changes the way Wessel westbrook thinks about the whole thing and so you, you, it's it's a challenge and that's part of what makes our lives so interesting is that you know you're, you're trying to figure this out in the abstract and we don't have that information right now but yeah it's going to be it's going to be fascinating and i think what is good for the thunder overall is that they just have a, an overall higher talent level than a lot of these teams that are right. kind of that as much as they're gutted emotionally from what happened, that that they're they're not in the same place that that some of these teams are. Like let's say what Cleveland was after LeBron left, and I mean, granted, you could say Cleveland being so bad is why LeBron left the first time, but it is it is different in that way that that they are still close enough to relevance that it will be that it's a little bit easier to take. It's still hard. It's still brutal, of course. Right. No, nobody's but ever you can absorb it. it. You're not hitting rock bottom here. Exactly. And I, and I also think that's good for the fan base because I think, especially because they've been, they've had this core, you know, Westbrook Duran is what made the transition to Oklahoma City is that, you know, they they can fall in love with other guys. I mean, Steven Adams is popular if, if they keep Russ, Russ. And, and if, if he signs, let's say, like another one plus one on top of his current deal, then that gives, you know, even if he leaves at that point, then that gives them more time to be relevant and to kind of build that next core. Right. There's a little more foundation there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else you want to discuss? No, sir. Great, great talk. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks again to Royce Young for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read him at ESPN.com slash NBA, and you should and can follow him on Twitter at Royce Young. That's R-O-Y-C-E-Y-O-U-N-G. Really great having him on, and Oklahoma City, as much as many are focusing on the Durant part of it, I, I think their present situation is incredibly fascinating, and I think the, hopefully that conversation illuminated it for you as well. My instinct on Westbrook is a little different from Royce's. We didn't talk about it because I'd already taken enough of his time, but my instinct is that he's a little bit less committal about signing long-term and that that kind of pushes towards a trade, but I'm not sure of that. He, he's a hard guy to figure out in that sense, but... I think that my idea of him not really wanting to commit anywhere is definitely a factor in it. And 
I would expect him to re-sign where he ends up, but that is far from a guarantee. Far, far from a guarantee. So we'll see. And I'm excited about where that's going to go. And it was great to talk to Royce. Also excited, of course, about Blue Apron. You can go to blueapron.com slash realgm to get three free meals with free shipping. I legitimately love the product. I'm excited about having it. It's actually been a little bit because I'm going to LA for Adidas Nations that I'm, I'm going to be off of Blue Apron for a week and a half, which is a little bit disappointing for me. And also thrilled that we are a part of the CLNS radio family. I've really enjoyed being a part, part with them, and that also means that you can listen to this through the CLNS radio app on Android and on iOS, which is what I have. And it has been great working with them and being a part of their family. And Jared Weiss, of course, is, is a member of CLNS, and he's been on my show a lot. I'll probably be on soon. The Celtics are one of the components of the Russell Westbrook thing, but of course they have so much other stuff going on. And the current expectation is that, of course, Real Jam Radio will continue once a week throughout the offseason. The current plan is to do the division kind of capsules. So for those of you who haven't listened, those will be an offseason in review and preview division by division. I think that's the most reasonable way to split up the teams and those usually are two guests. I'll bounce it around, you know, depend on depend on opportunity, depend on who I can get. And if you have any other ideas for, for how to kind of do that purpose of summarizing what happened and previewing what is to come, I always listen. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Daniel LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. You can also follow you can also reach out to me on email by Daniel LaRue NBA at gmail.com. I read everything. I respond to as much as I can. Eventually, I will find time to respond to more. That has not happened yet. It will, theoretically, maybe around when the Olympics start. We'll see. I'll watch a lot of team handball because team handball is awesome and, of course, basketball. And, of course, for those of you who listen to this podcast, the Dunked On Basketball podcast, and any other thing that you like, please rate it, review it, and download every episode because downloads are what is really important if you if you want to do that because that is a metric that we can take to advertisers like the excellent blue apron and say hey look at all the people who are listening to this and of course if you can use the products that we advertise that's even better because then we can then they can use that they'll re-up with us and do that and the financial part of this is important because that is a part of what makes this doable for us and you know it's it, it is a, a labor of love in that sense real jam radio has been like that for me for almost two years now but the money makes it a lot more workable, especially with all of the other things that I do. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is proud to present the Boots on the Boulevard concert series during Rodeo Week with Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. Rodeo Week never sounded so good. With the best live country music at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas this December. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. featuring Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. More acts announced soon, but don't wait. Go to CosmopolitanLasVegas.com to book your experience. Boots on the Boulevard at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. The Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas is proud to present the Boots on the Boulevard concert series during Rodeo Week with Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. Rodeo Week never sounded so good. With the best live country music at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas this December. Tickets on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. featuring Chase Rice, Lady Annabellum, Dwight Yoakam, and Justin Moore. More acts announced soon, but don't wait. Go to CosmopolitanLasVegas.com to book your experience. Boots on the Boulevard at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas.